As we got thinking about this anniversary double weekend, our overarching phrase was, let's bless the past as we move into the future. And, and that's a kind of a, a great phrase, I think, as we think about really what a good anniversary celebration is. Let's give thanks for God for what we've learned and what he's done in our past. But now let's not stay there. Let's, let's remember, not look back, that we talked about last week, but instead, now, let's move into the future. So, we thought the way we wanted to sort of construct these two weekends was we said, you know, last week we had people share stories with us and tell us about, you know, what, they, what God's done in their life and what they saw happen in the life of our church in the last five years. And so, we thought, that's great. Let's talk about the last five years. But then we thought, what about this week as we move into the future? What sort of focus should we have? And we said, well, we should have a, a really good question that helps us focus into the next five years. And, and this video uh, clip sort of set things up really good. It, it helped us say, you know, it all begins with a question. If we're going to have a great vision of where we're headed, it all begins with a question. So what's that question? Well, that question is this. I'm writing five. Um, But the question you can see up there is, what do we believe, what do we believe that God wants our church to become in the next five years? If you are, if, if you're not a Christian, please just listen in on what we're wrestling with as, as believers, because we think this is a very extremely important question. Um, I just want to unpack this question for a second. Uh, This question is not saying, what does Dave believe God wants our church to become? It's the collective we. We who say that we follow Jesus, love God, and love others. What do we believe? What does the church believe? Okay? And notice here, too, it isn't what does, what do we uh, believe... um, you know, Dave wants the church to become, or Ted wants the church to become, or Wade wants the church to become, or Carol wants the church to become. It, it, has, it has nothing to do with someone's personal opinion here, or even what this table wants the church to become, or that table over there wants the church to become. Is what do we believe God wants our church to become? That's a very important question. Because the last thing I want to do is spend 27 years, 35 years, 40 years, 50 years of my life doing something in church where God says, boy, you were climbing up the wrong ladder. Oh, you were climbing up it real well, but you were going up the entire wrong ladder. And then finally, 
I think what's important here is what do we believe God wants our church to become? Not simply to do. You know, I, I, I think that's part of becoming is that once you become something, you start doing certain things. But I think what we do is rooted in who we are. So I think in a way, it's more important to say, what kind of church are we going to become? Are we going to become a more loving church, a more serving church? Or we become a more church that we just say, this is a church for successful people. Or this is a church where no one's going to bother you or stretch you or challenge you. It's a, no, we got to ask ourselves, what are we going to become? And then finally, we got to ask ourselves, what are we going to become? I'd say in the next five years. Look at how much has happened in the last five. What's going to happen in the next five? What are we going to, what are we going to do? What does God want us to to, to do and to become. So that's the, um, that's the question I want us to spend a few uh, minutes on tonight. Or, yeah, actually tonight. And we'll be spending that as well tomorrow morning. So that, though, now leads us to something. Because you could say, okay, well, I've got some ideas, and maybe you're already going to make a, send me a little email. Uh, it's David at onthejourney.ca. You could say, I'm going to start typing up things. I, I'm going to make up a note, or I've got my opinion. I'll wait to a, a, an annual gathering meeting, a church business meeting, where I'll express my opinion there. Um, maybe I'll uh, talk about it in a small group. Maybe I'll just, afterwards, when we're having cake, um, you know, I'll, I'll share my thoughts with someone. And, and don't get me wrong. It's great to start really owning that question. This is a really powerful question. This is going to be a question we're going to be asking over and over again. But, but I think before we really start trying to answer this question specifically, I think it's important that we get a framework, that we sort of get ourselves positioned to say, okay, if we're going to answer this question well, what should we be thinking about that will help us to answer this question well? And I just want to say that I think it all starts with us listening to Jesus. And, and, and I'm not trying to be trite about it. I really do. Because who's the head of the church? Is it the board here? Uh, this is not a rhetorical question. Is it, the, is it the board? Is the board the head of the church? No. no. Is Dave the head of the church? No. no. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> thank goodness for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, is the... I know, is it the congregation, the head of the church? Because their vote is what settles the score, right? Is it the congregation? No, who's the head of the church? Jesus. He's the head of the church. Read your Bible. It says it over and over again. Christ is the head of the church. Read Ephesians. He's the head of the church. So let's listen to what Jesus would say to us as we think about what God wants our church to become in the next five years. See, I think Jesus helps us understand that we need to frame this big five-year question in the context of how we're going to relate to in some very critical relationships. And I want us to think about three key relationships I think Jesus talks about very simply in the Gospel of John. Because I think if we're going to answer this question well, it's going to be the way we are going to relate to these three key areas in our life that I think Jesus really wants our church to move towards, okay? Now, what are those three key relationships? Well, let's look at them. The first key relationship is the world. How is our church going to relate to the world? 
And when we look at the world, we see that Jesus has a great phrase found in John 20, verse 21. And he basically says, peace be with you. This is just after he rose. This is the resurrected Jesus. And then he says this line, as the father has sent me, so I'm sending you. You know, for a lot of us, if I was to ask you to, I'd like you to come up and give me your description of who is the God that we worship. Give me his characteristics. I think a lot of you would say, well, God is a faithful God. And God is a strong God. And God is a powerful God. And God is a God that when I'm in trouble, oh, he's my anchor. He's my boat. He's the one that's going to save me. He's my refuge. People love to live in that part of, of understanding God that way. God is our refuge and our source of strength. He's our strong right arm. God is a saving God. And we think about how he saved us and how I got my ticket to heaven. And I'm going to glory after I die. And oh, that's great too. And I think I also say, a lot of people say, well, God is a guiding God. But often what we don't talk about, and it's all seen throughout Scripture, is not only is God a saving God or a God that brings us security or safety, we find in him, but God is also a sending God. He's a sending God. God is a God on a mission. From the time that when, when, when sin entered the world after God had created the world, God was on a mission. He was on a mission to once again bring the world back under his rule completely, to restore everything. And so we see this great God on a mission right from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and that is our vision of this God that we worship. He is ascending God. I mean, think about the Bible verse that for me, I was growing up in Sunday school. It was the one verse if I was going to be saved, I knew I needed to know this verse. It was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, or actually there's some versions that say that he sent his one and only son. Gave, sent. God was on a on a mission where he sent his son into this world, not, not to help those who already had their act together, but to, to save the lost, to seek and to save those who were far from him. God was on a, on a mission to redeem those who were sold into slavery. God was on a mission where he says, I'm gonna send you, Jesus, to do my work. And now look what Jesus is saying. Let's go back to that verse, Larry. Of John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the father sent me, I'm now sending you. And so then he talks to the early church and he's saying, now I want you to go be my witnesses. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. Now, here's the question in the next five years. If we are going to be a church that God, what, when we ask ourselves, what does God want our church to become in the next five years? I believe that we need to be a church that is filled with sent people. 
And, and that means that rather than treating the world out there like, well, we better remove ourselves from that evil world. We better build an ark and keep our family safe and don't have anything to do with all those people out there, those pagans, those secular people, because we know they have all different lifestyle issues and choices and struggles and questions. God says, no, you're called to go. You're called to go and be a light and be a witness. You're sent. Now, the other thing (coughs) is that neither are we to remove ourselves from the world, but if we're sent people, neither are we to resemble the world where we just say, hey, I'll just go into the world. I'll just resemble everything they do. I'll just buy into the culture completely. No, we're called to be God's people. We're set apart. And we're called to show a, a, a life of love and forgiveness and grace and service to others. If we are going, I I don't know all that we're going to become in the next five years, but I know this. We need to be asking ourselves this framing question. Are we sent people? Are we sent people? Because we have a sending God. Thank you, Jen. That brings me to the second circle. Actually, I'll have to erase this one. I'll get crowded. So... So the first relationship is to the world we're sent. The second relationship is to the church. And our relationship to the church is one of love. You know, I think that when we ask the five-year question, what are we going to become? We have to ask ourselves, how are we going to relate to our church? You know, I talked about this uh, about a, uh, when I first came back after my summer vacation. I said, how do many people treat their marriages? Do they treat it as a covenant or do they treat it as a consumer? And I said, unfortunately, all the statistics in our society tell us a lot of people treat their marriages as a consumer. If you meet my needs, if you make me happy, sounds like a customer, right? I will stay in the marriage. If you don't, I will leave and go to Target. I will find a new, no, I will find a new target, okay? Okay? I want you to flip that for a second. I think there's an awful lot of people that come into churches that treat it like a target store. Will you make meet my needs? Will you make me feel good? Will you play the music I want? Will you, will you serve the food I want? Will you preach the Bible version I want? Will you have the type of people that I want? Will you not stretch me and not make me feel uncomfortable? Because remember, the customer's always right. Don't ever challenge me. Don't ever help me to grow in my faith. Don't ever, don't, don't ever do any of that. Because, because my relationship to a church is I will come as long as you make me feel good. And when you stop making me feel good... I'm out of here. Now, what's, what's really sad is that when a person treats the church that way, they have forgotten what the church is. You see, Jesus also talks to us about how we should treat the church. Let's go to John 13, verse 34 and 35. And this is what it says. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And is there the verse 35 there or not? No? Okay. And your, there it is. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What does it mean to love the church? 
Can I just make a couple of practical suggestions that in the next five years, I think loving the church means that we understand that it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of bringing us together, but then we make every effort to keep the unity of the church working. It takes, see, it's a, it's a spiritual thing that God brings us together as his people, that he draws us into his kingdom through faith in Christ. But once we enter into that, the Bible tells us we need to make every effort to enjoy the benefits of being a loving community of Jesus. How do we love one another? Can I be really practical? When you come in on Saturday night, do you actually go to another table that you don't know and say, hello, my name is Dave and your name is, oh, Susan? I'm so glad to meet you. And you start to enter into fellowship. Can I be practical if you're gonna, we're going to love one another? We don't show up when it's convenient. We show up because we're convicted that this is the body of Christ and we're called to support one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, help. We just don't go, well, it fits my schedule. We've got to learn what love means. You know, loving one another means we don't gossip about each other because we know a proverb says that gossip stirs up strife and is divisive. You know, if we're going to love the church... It means that we're courteous to each other. That rather than judging one another, I can't believe you're still struggling with that, we celebrate how far you've come. We gotta learn to love the church. You know why? Because as it says in 1 John 3.16, ironically, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16, it says that Christ um, so loved us that he gave his life for us. That is why we must, should give, lay down our lives for other believers. If Christ gave his life for the church, why do we treat the church like it's an add-on to our calendar only when we should be, you know, once in a while saying, hey, this is convenient. We got to learn in the next five years what it really means to love the church. Even in times of conflict, even in times of change, this is Jesus' church. And, and you know what I think we lose sight of? It's that every one of you who are followers of Jesus, the Bible says that you're being transformed into the very glory of Christ. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says that if we could see any one of us right now who are followers of Christ in the full glory that we're going to experience one day, we all, all of us in the room here would be tempted to fall down and worship that person if we saw them in their full glory. Do we get what we are? We are God's chosen people. Why do we treat the church as something, as an add-on? That brings us to the next, the last part. Our first relationship that has to shape our question is we're the world, which we're sent, the church, which we are to love. But the last one is ourself, which we need to be healthy with or health. Let's read a verse here that Jesus talks to us about this. He says in John 15, 4, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. 
Now think about this. This is where it's great to make a jump from one verse to another passage of Scripture. When you hear about fruit, for those of you who've studied your Bible, what's one of those other well-known verses that you think about? It's found in Galatians chapter 5. What is it about the fruit of the Spirit? Ah, I think there's a connection here. So it says, if I remain in Jesus, I will have much fruit. What kind of fruit? I'm not talking about apples and oranges and lemons and pears. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what are the fruit of the Spirit? People, just do some shouts. What, love? Come on. Joy. Patience. Self-control. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. <laughs> Self-control. Now, now, here's a problem. Can I tell you something I've noticed in pastoring the same church for 27 years? Here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that I see people come to Jesus. They go, I'm saved. I can't believe it. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. And now I see. Now maybe they'll talk like that. But anyway, I'm waiting for someone to come up and talk to me like, oh, Dave, I got saved. I'm so excited. Anyway. <laughs> but but they are excited and they say, I have hope and I have, I have forgiveness and they're so excited and they're part of the church and, and they go, Dave, you, what kind of Bible you got? I'll, I'll get that Bible. I'm walking around, I got my Bible and I'm reading, I'm singing, I'm learning new songs, I'm showing up and maybe I'm musical and I'm, or maybe I'm, I, I like to serve food. I'm back there working with Bill and Sherry and I, yeah, I'm having a great time. They're all excited. But then months move into years and here's a problem, is that maybe they've increased their Bible knowledge, their head knowledge, and maybe they've even made some Christian friends, and they've learned how to pray without embarrassing themselves, like they kind of learn the lingo now, like, dear Lord, thank you for this day, I give you thanks, and everyone's going, oh, that's such a good job. And they might have even joined a small group, we call those journey groups, because now they're starting to want to get deeper, deeper in their faith. And maybe they've even invited a friend to a starting point where now they're saying, I got saved. You got to get saved too. So come with me, right? And those, don't get me wrong. All of those things are good things. But here's the problem. But as they move along, they still find that, man, they get angry easily still. They struggle with their anger. Or for others, they still have panic attacks. And they're worried all the time. Or for others, they're bitter. Or for others, they still struggle with lust and other. For others, they, man, they thought that Jesus would help them break that smoking habit and they still haven't broken it. For others, they, they still hear their dad saying to them, yeah, you blew it again. You're worthless. For others, they, they had made a promise to themselves when people were making fun of them, maybe their family or maybe it was at school. And so they made a promise to themselves. It was a psychological, emotional promise. They said, I'll never feel again. And so the problem with that promise, right? Never feeling again is that you don't, you know what? No one can hurt you, but guess what? No one can love you either because you've got the wall up. And, and, and for other people, 
they, they go, you know, I just don't know how to express my emotions at all. I, I get all, ooh, when they all, when, when Dave gets up there and starts talking about feelings or don't hug me, I hate being hugged. And then all of a sudden, I find after a few years, people, they love Jesus, but they start to go back to their old ways. They start going back to the way they coped with life before they met Jesus. You know why? Because they never got healthy. They never dealt with their emotional pain. And can I tell you, every single one of you have emotional pain. I've watched close enough to all of you to know it. I know you all got garbage because here's the reality. Dave has garbage. We all have brokenness. We all struggle to know how to deal with conflict. When I see us struggling, see, here's the biggest thing that happened in the last five years when we went through all our conflict. I, and it was a revelation to me. I had to look in the mirror myself. When I was in this deep conflict with some of you right here in this room, I didn't know what to do with it. I was freaking out. Because I grew up in a family that there was only one way to deal with conflict. You fight. Last man standing. Now, I know for some of you, I know how you guys dealt with conflict in your home. You never talked about it. It didn't exist. You were in la-la land. And you bring that dysfunction right into this church family. Anytime there's a conflict, oh, it doesn't exist. It's all pretty. And then others of us over here are like, yeah, boom, boom, kick, yeah. Which isn't emotionally healthy either. (laughs) And the thing is, then we hear words like Jesus saying to us, turn the other cheek, become a person of peace, forgive 70 times seven. And we don't know how to do it because we're so locked up emotionally. Listen, we got to stay, we got to, Figure out how being connected to Jesus really transforms us so that people who come in here who are angry, vindictive, bitter, cynical, worrisome, anxiety-ridden, over the years of following Jesus, we start to see them get free. They start to, like this hostage series, they start to break free. And people start to say, wow, when you really do follow Jesus, you, your old falls away and your new comes, you're transformed. Now listen, these next five years, whatever we decide to do, we better be dealing with this because the thing that would break my heart is to see people who came to Jesus, serve Jesus, but still stay sick in themselves and they're not healthy because somehow they didn't figure out how to be rooted to the vine. There's got to be a way we connect our walk with Jesus so that we can be aware of ourselves and get better and get healthier. And when we can finally stand up and say, you know what, I was a compulsive liar or I was a critic. Every time I would talk to people, I would criticize them in my mind and we would honestly admit it. And then we'd say, but Jesus is helping me move forward and show more grace. And I'm starting to find freedom in Christ finally. But I'm willing to admit, this is my struggle point. Pray for me. And there's no more pride and no more pretending. There's no more, I'm just going to live in my little shell and protect myself because that's not what it means to be the church of Christ because Jesus says, you're going to be connected to me and you're going to have to produce much fruit. Anyway, 
I digress. I need to move on to my last point. So I want, I want you to really understand this journey that we're going to be going on. This journey means that we have to start asking this question, what are we going to become in the next five years? And if we're going to answer that well, we have to be aware of three key relationships. Let's just say them. The first relationship is the relationship to what? The world in which we're sent. The second relationship is to the church, which we are called to love, right? And the last relationship is to our self, which we need to find health. If we don't address those three key relationships of whatever big vision plan we come up with, we're kidding ourselves. Now, lastly, really quick, you're going to say, well, Dave, how do we go on this vision journey? How are we going to get there? How do we even take the next few steps? Well, this isn't original with me. I want to give thanks to Bill Hybels for this part because he really helped me think this through. But basically, we right now are putting together a vision team And this vision team is going to help facilitate the congregations and the church of the Journey Church and all those who want to participate in it in this journey. We're going to take a three-step journey. Oh, yeah. And when we get our relationships figured out, they drive us into action. So here's the action we're going to be moving into. (laughs) Sorry, I forgot that point. It's a really good point, actually. When you get your relationships figured out, you can finally move. You're not paralyzed anymore. Okay, here we go. The first part of this vision journey is going to be formation. And during this time of formation, this is when, now listen carefully, we're going to put together a team that will help facilitate, which is happening right now. We're going to be uh, having a prayer focus so that we can be listening to God. We're going to be having conversations with the church. In various forms, we're going to have fireside chats. I may be asking certain people even here to say, would you open your home and host a fireside chat? Okay, so just be thinking about that. Blair, just, just think about it, okay? Um, so, so the thing is, we're going to have fireside chats. We're going to have congregational uh, feedback times. Um, we're going to, so we're going to create conversations at multiple levels. So we're listening because one thing I've learned and here's something I want to admit. I'm trying to show, I'm trying to grow my emotional health. Is that Dave, in the first 15 years of ministry, no, 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 you're going to say, no, in the last 20, first 20, first 20, I more made this. I sort of got the great idea in my head. I decided it was right. God wanted me to do it. I announced it to everybody. I mean, I educated everybody, announced it to everybody, and then defended it for the next 10 years. This time, I really want to ask I want to say, look, we're God's people. Let's ask. Let's listen to each other. And let's be asking this. Not what do you want and not what do I want. What does God want? Okay? Um, and also, one last thing in the formation time, we're going to be also having, we're going to be using technology for all you 21st century geeks. We're going to be, and I mean that in a loving way, I'm, I'm a geek too, that we're going to be taking advantage of digital technology. We're going to be doing assessments. We're going to be sending out to people. You're going to be able to fill in things. And oh, it's going to be so exciting. We're going to have like graphs and everything. Okay. During the form- after the formation time, we're then, and I suspect this is going to be a season of at least six to eight months. We're then going to move into a refinement time where obviously we're going to hear a lot of ideas and thoughts, and prayers, and passions, and I don't, and here's a shocker, there's going to be disagreement. 
And, and someone over here is going to say, well, this is what I think God wants us to do. And then someone over here is going to say, well, this is what I think. And I'm going to be sitting in the middle of my vision team saying they totally contradict each other. And somehow we have to say, okay, God, how do we find our way? So we're going to have to refine it. And then finally, and this, I don't know, this may be three months, maybe four months, might be whatever. I don't know. Because we're going to have to come back and get some clarity. But as we refine the vision, and then finally... We're going to have a period of declaration to say, here's what we've listened. Here's what we've heard. Here's what we believe God wants our church to become in the next five years. And then guess what, people? After the declaration, there's one more word here that I should put in. We, it's implementation. Now we go. And we trust God. Because he's a great God. And we belong to the church of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for this time. Thank you for this. We thank you, Lord, for the church. We thank you for the mission you've called us to into the world. And we thank you that the hope you give to us that we can get, we can get healthy, Lord, because as we connect with you, we can be transformed in the very character of Christ. So, Lord, we just pray that you will help us to look ahead. Help us to look ahead, Lord. And... Uh, Help us to trust you in this journey, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.